Hello, and welcome to the Hope for Stroke Survivors podcast with your host, Brian Gardner. The purpose of this podcast is to provide education, support, inspiration for stroke survivors and their caregivers. How will we do this? Well, interviewing experts in the field of stroke recovery and also sharing inspirational stories from survivors and caregivers. For more information, you can go online to www.hopeforstrokesurvivors.com. And now, without further ado, here's your host, Brian Gardner. I'm excited to welcome my first guest, Dorothy Zuleger, affectionately known as Doro. She works as an occupational therapist and is the founder of the prestigious NeuroHub located in Orlando, Florida, where she services clients with both spinal cord injuries and also stroke survivors. Welcome to the show, Doro. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested and involved in occupational therapy? Sure. Um, it was actually pure coincidence that I stumbled upon OT. Originally, I went to film school up at FSU and worked in that industry for a few years as a freelancer. And as the economy went down in 2008, approximately, it was harder and harder to get consistent work. And I ended up working some hours in a coffee shop like so many other people's. And I got to the point where I felt I had to make that decision in life, um, which direction to take. And I didn't want to move to LA or New York um, to work in film at that time. I love those cities and I love them to visit or love to visit those cities, but I don't want to live there. Um, so I thought I'll try another profession and I felt speech therapy would be super interesting. I'm not really sure why I thought it, but it was more of a gut feeling. So I approached a good friend of mine that is a speech therapist and she told me straight out, no way, you're not a material for a speech therapist, but you should check out OT. So up to that point, I've never even heard of occupational therapy. I thought it might have something to do with helping people get a job, something like right. that. Um, and I was able to find a place here in town and shadow a clinician working with kids, and I absolutely loved it. The clinician was paid to sit on the floor in socks and play with shaving cream. So that's a <laughs> dream come true right there. There you go. That's awesome. Um, so after that, I found a local stool and I started my journey of becoming an OT. So tell, tell us about the NeuroHub and how that came to fruition and a little bit about, about your team. Um, so basically, after I graduated school, I worked in outpatient neuro rehab right off the bat. And that's the only field I ever worked in. Mm -hmm. And I worked for a big um, organization for five years, and then I felt I needed more flexibility for my two young kids. And several people had told me, just open up your own business, do your own thing, it'll give you flexibility, it's fun. And at some point, I said, well, why not? Um, right. I would have the flexibility, I would not have to worry about insurance guidelines and insurance um, companies telling me as a clinician what to do and what not to do. And um, I found a small room in an activity-based gym. I had $500 in my pocket and a lot of passion, and that's how it started. That's great. 
Now, your team, I know you work with um, clients with spinal cord injuries and also stroke, stroke patients. Can you tell us a little bit uh, how you work with specifically stroke patients, kind of what your, your vision for your stroke patients is? Yes. Yeah, so we always say we think outside the box. Um, a lot of the clients that we see have been through the inpatient and outpatient insurance-driven world, so to speak. They've experienced OT. Um, they practice dressing and toileting and all those activ- activities of daily life. And they come to us because they want more. Usually they want to regain movement. So we really focus on facilitating movement right. through, through different activities and with different techniques. And then we translate it into functional tasks. So a lot of times we just sit there with electrical stimulation or with a massager tool and pump out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of reps until we get that movement going. And then we start um, doing more functional task training. We pick up a cup or we reach for something or we might grab a fishing pole and reel the fishing pole, whatever at that point is purposeful and fun to the client. Sure. Now, one of the I noticed on your website, one of the therapies that you use is called constraint-induced therapy. Can you tell us a little bit about what that entails and how you've seen that work with a client? Sure. CI therapy is also known as constraint therapy or constraint-induced movement therapy. And it was invented by Dr. Taub and his research team at UAB. And it is... I would say um, it is considered to be the most effective intervention to date um, when it comes to neuro rehab. It's highly research supported and it assists the clients in increasing the functional use of the hemiplegic arm. Um, So basically Dr. Edward Taub discovered that restraining the stronger arm, taking away the stronger arm and intensely training the weaker arm could help to rewire the brain, which then helps to improve overall function of the weaker arm. So we also right. call the CI therapy program a boot camp for our clients. Um, and it's different from the traditional therapy in a sense that we work with clients for three hours a day, um, wow. two to three weeks, five days a week. Mm-hmm. And after they leave the clinic, they still have to wear the constraint as long as it's safe. So they're supposed to constrain the stronger arm for 90% of the waking hours. Wow. Wow. Okay. And And you've seen success with that? Say that one more time. I'm sorry. You've seen success with that? Some of your patients using that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the success we see in clients that follow the protocol is phenomenal. Wow. It's so exciting. It is super exciting. I mean, we get excited every day when the client comes from out of town, for example, and they come in the morning and say, oh, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I turned the light on in the bathroom with my left hand. And it's just super exciting to see their excitement and and the hope it gives them that, yes, there is movement after all. Nobody has ever thought there would be movement or they were told by physicians there's never going to be any movement. Um, but now they see it for themselves and that just motivates right. them to take it to the next level. That is so cool. It is. 
Now, you know, I'm a stroke survivor, Doro, and I've worked with you before. I love, love, love your passion. And, and I'll use the word intensity. I, I think that as a stroke survivor, you have to have someone push you to improve, to get better. Yes. And, you know, but I, I would also say as a stroke survivor that it's also difficult sometimes to be motivated to work at improving physically and mentally. What what kind of advice would you, I know you've seen patients like that. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's struggling with that motivation piece? Yeah, motivation can be a really tough one, but I think it's one of the most important aspects or factors in neuro recovery. Um, to me, usually it's important to see why there's a lack of motivation. Mm -hmm. Is it because the client has family issues going on? Is there not the solid support system at home? Is the client monitored for or monitored and treated for depression and PTSD? Did the client maybe progress really well and then it all of a sudden stopped? Um, I like to really look at what it is. Can we find out where the problem is? And then I just straight out ask the client, what is your goal? Right. Where right. do you want to take this? And then we break it down into baby steps and we go at it. That's great. Now, you also do uh, driving assessments. Is that correct? Yes, I do adaptive driving, which has been a fun new addition to the neuro what, what, what does that involve? Can you explain that a little bit yes, more in depth? Absolutely. So after a client sustains a brain injury or a spinal cord injury, a lot of clients feel the need to, to get on the road again. But unfortunately, um, the way cars are set up many times, it doesn't allow them to drive. So for example, if a client has a stroke that affected the right side, so the arm is paralyzed and the leg is paralyzed, it would be really hard for that client to drive a standard vehicle. Right. So what we can do is we can adjust our van and put a left foot accelerator in the van mm -hmm. and a spinner knob on the steering wheel and all kinds of little gadgets that are needed. And we teach the client to drive with the left foot or even with the hand control if needed. Um, mm -hmm. So they can get back to driving and be independent. Right. I'll say speaking from personal experience, that was the biggest, one of the biggest losses I felt was losing the freedom to drive and have the independence. And I did exactly what you said with the left foot accelerator and to have that that freedom back to be able to go where I want to go. It is just so empowering. Absolutely. It's so important. I feel like I grew up in Europe, so I saw a really good public transportation system. Right. Compared to Europe, the transportation, the public transportation system here is not so good. So I, I mean, it was such a need to start this program to allow people to regain that independence and just get away from their family or their their loved ones or do something on their own. Um, so I really wanted to just provide that opportunity to them. That's so great. Now, do you see patients from all over the country? Yes. That's great. Are you accepting new patients? How would, how would someone get in touch with you if they wanted to become a client? So the easiest way is usually just 
call the office or send us an email. Let us know a little bit about you, what you would like to get out of therapy, what you're coming in for, and then we can create a custom program. Um, We usually screen the client via phone call or um, web. What do you call it? (laughs) I can't think of it. Um, Like a Skype call. So we screen the client. We screen the client by a phone call or by Skype just to learn a little bit about them. We tell them our philosophy, our goals, the equipment that we use, the techniques that we use. And then we get our heads together and create a custom program and go at it. Can you give our listeners the phone number to your facility? Yes, if you give me a second to look it up, because okay. I don't, I don't remember my own phone number. <laughs> I guess it's a good problem to have, right? Right. Give me one moment. So the phone number to the Neuro Hub in Orlando is four zero seven nine five one eight nine three six. Or they can also send us an email to info at theneurohub.com. That's spelled info at T-H-E-N-E-U-R-O-H-U-B.com. Okay. And you also have a website. We do have a website. It's theneurohub.com. Okay. And we're on Facebook and Instagram. So if anybody just wants to peek into it, get a glimpse at what we do. We have a lot of client stories on social media just to share what we do to empower others that recovery can be fun. It can be intense, but it can be so rewarding too. That that is 100% the truth. I will say after working with you that I would tell any of our listeners to look into coming to work with you if at all possible, because it's such a great experience. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, we, we, we love what we do. There's no other words than that. We just we love it. Your team, your facility is amazing. And you just, it, your, your passion is incredible for, for growth, seeing growth and in, in your patients. It's fun, fun to watch. It's fun, so much fun to work with you. Yes, and we feel the exact same way. I mean, we we love to see the tiny little changes. We have learned to appreciate small changes and take them and build them up and make them big and allow a client to feel that joy and hope again and get it growing bigger with them. It's It's awesome. There's nothing better than that. That's great. Dora, is there anything else you'd like to share with our our listeners, any other last advice? I think I would just want to encourage every stroke survivor to take their recovery as far as they want to and to own it. Look for resources, reach out to foundations for financial support or just to connect with other stroke survivors and don't let anybody tell you what you can and can't do. The brain is so amazing and so powerful and we've only just begun to learn more about the brain. 
I think that's that is great. That is great advice and so motivating because I I, I agree the brain is so changing so much and I think that research being done for stroke survivors with brain is going to help move therapy forward and recovery forward. I'm so excited to see what happens in the future. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what the next five years bring in neuro rehab. I think it'll be phenomenal between discoveries about the brain and how the brain connects to sleep and food, for example, and then all the new technologies that we can use to support the rehab. I think it'll be a fun, rewarding five years that are coming up. I agree. I agree. Doro, thank you so much for giving some time today to our podcast. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And I hope that our listeners will reach out to you in the future and look for some, to gain some benefit and wisdom and therapy from you, you and your team. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Dora. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. You're welcome. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Pleased to introduce to you Rachel Groves. Rachel is a stroke survivor living in Orlando, Florida, and she has started a nonprofit geared towards helping stroke survivors. Rachel, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit, a bit about your story. Well, hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I'm Rachel, and at the age of 32, I became a stroke survivor. I was uh, doing well, starting my own career. I had two uh, young children. Um, Jack was just turning four and my daughter was about 18 months. And um, I came home one Friday afternoon after work and grocery shopping and came home with them. And um, I had this loud pop in my ear. And from there, it all kind of started coming apart. And I started getting numbness and tingling in my fingers and toes, and it started ascending up my arms, up my legs. And I thought it was just stressful end of the week. I'm tired. I just needed to sit down and take a deep breath, have some water. And that's when I realized that I was starting to lose my vision. And then I realized I was having a stroke. And as I tried to stand up to go to the medicine cabinet for a bottle of aspirin, I hit the floor. Mm, wow. And so that's where my four-year-old um, found me and, and then had to kind of step in because mm. I tried to speak to him and tell him, get my phone, call 911. Uh, but my speech was already uh, distorted. Right. So um, by the grace of God, honestly, he knew I was in trouble and was able to find my cell phone, uh, call 911 and open the door for the paramedics when they did finally arrive. So that was, um, I don't know, it was scary and just kind of amazing all the same time as I could hear, I could hear everything, but I couldn't Mm -hmm. respond or do anything um, to help myself or, or them. So um, after that, I brave, brave young man. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He is my forever hero. Sure. Wow. It's amazing how God sends us angels. Right at the right time, appropriate time. He does. And 
being about three and a half years out from this now, um, I look back at the story and kind of see where those little miracles were happening all around. And it was just hard to see in the present moment, but most definitely. Wow. Now, did you know, did you recognize the signs yourself that you were having a stroke? I did. Um, I'm a nurse practitioner. I work in the medical field. And so at first I thought it was nothing. I thought I pinched a nerve in my neck carrying kids Mm. and groceries and stuff that happens. Um, So that's kind of why I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. But then it just didn't seem right. And it kept moving and my hearing started sound a little muffled. And so and this all happened within a time span of probably just a couple minutes, although it felt a lot longer than that. Um, once I started losing my vision and it was literally like a curtain being pulled over from the outside Mm -hmm. to the inside of my eyes. Um, that's when I knew. And I just, I, I was like, no way I'm 32. Like this doesn't happen to somebody 32. Like so young. Wow. So I was kind of in a bit of disbelief. And, and then when I finally got up and said, Nope, that's what's happening. And I need to get aspirin. Um, I, that's when it all became totally out of my control. Right. So what happened when you got to the hospital that day? Um, so I got to the hospital and, uh, luckily my husband knows I've worked in several of them and he begged with the paramedics, uh, to take me to a particular one that I had always told him if I ever had to go to the hospital, this is where you send me. (laughs) Um, he got me there and, um, it unfortunately took a while for them to figure out I was having a stroke. Um, Mm -hmm. I heard them talking and I know there were several talk screens that were done thinking I was an intoxicated mom. Um, Wow. But um, I had a girlfriend who's a nurse practitioner who was working that day and ended up finding me in the ER. And she was just like, Whoa, no, this something's definitely not right. Like you need to put her in a CAT scan. Um, and so once they did that, they realized I was having a, a massive stroke. Um, I put a big clot into it. It knocked out both my right and left, um, cerebellar area. Um, but I also had clots that broke off and showered into five other places. Wow. Oh my Um, goodness. So, um, unfortunately by the time it was recognized and they went to start treatment, I already had too much swelling. Um, and so giving me the medication to bust up that big clot was no Mm -hmm. longer an option. Uh, I see. I see. So I went to the ICU and it became a watch and wait to see what would happen if it would, um, start to resolve on its own, if it would progress further, um, and then make decisions from there. So did you have to go through any type of therapy? Once they, um, I guess it was about 72 hours later, it looked like things were stabilizing. Um, I didn't bleed. Um, I, the clot didn't progress any further and they, there was no intervention at that point they felt was safe to do. So they were just going to let it resolve on its own. Um, they began to kind of assess the, the deficits and, and what they were, um, which was speech and motor, um, coordination balance. Um, so then therapy slowly started kind of trickling in, um, with simple things, uh, how to hold a fork, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, right. how to drink out of a straw and could I safely do that? Um, sure. and so it was 
very small baby steps. And mm. once I got out of the ICU and spent a few more days um, in a step-down unit, they did um, evaluate me and, and feel that I was an appropriate candidate for inpatient rehab. So right. I was then transferred to um, another facility within the inpatient rehab department and uh, spent the next several days. I think it was actually, I think it was a whole week, maybe, maybe more. Wow. <laughs> it starts to blur a little bit, but um, where I did um, every day I was in therapy and, and spent my time in the therapy room and asked for homework because um, my goal was to walk out of that inpatient rehab. Right. So, and obviously you did, did that. I, I did. They wouldn't let me walk out under my own power, but <laughs> as soon as I was out of the hospital itself, I was able to stand up and walk from my wheelchair to the car. And it was an amazing feeling. So that's great. So how, how has your life changed since the stroke in the last three and a half years? Uh, incredibly. Um, so my husband uh, had a complete role reversal. He became mom. Uh, he became dad. Uh, uh, he was still trying to work and juggle the kids and all of those activities. And so it was kind of an eye-opening experience for him on that side, as well as handling me and getting me to therapy and you just start to realize all the small details of who's going to take care of kids because now none of them are in daycare or VPK programs because that costs money and we lost a whole income. Um, So there was a lot of uh, transition. um, And I don't think him or I were really prepared or fully understood what that transition meant or what it looked like. Um, so we had a lot of help. We were extremely fortunate with friends and family that stepped in to help with the kids and help to bring prepared meals because I couldn't cook, I couldn't drive. Um, family that took their weeks of vacation to be my transportation because I then continued therapy uh, for the next eight months or so um, on a daily basis um, at an outpatient rehab facility. Um, so just seeing all those small details and realizing that, man, we definitely couldn't have managed to get me the rehab I needed without a ton of help. Right. Um, and so those are things that just, I don't know, kind of fell through the cracks, um, as did some other aspects, you know, the, the social side of being a stroke survivor at a young age and looking fine, um, not necessarily having any visible deficits, um, even now, um, but having unseen deficits and trying to explain that to people when right. you just can't do mm. um, one more activity or you can't participate in a certain event because you're sensitive to lights and noise and sound. Um, uh, that's been an ongoing, I think, struggle uh, a little bit. And that's kind of how um, I ended up uh, with another young stroke survivor uh, starting a foundation. So tell us about the YES Foundation. So the YES Foundation um, was started um, by myself and another young stroke survivor. His name is Ray. And we met uh, through another event and real his story resonated with me because what he was saying just, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I get this guy. And he's speaking about exactly what I'm 
dealing with and nobody seems to understand when I try to explain myself. So we met and realized, you know, we have a lot more in common than we, we thought. And so we were like, if we're both struggling with some of these difficulties of unseen things and insurance issues and trying to get additional Mm -hmm. therapy, because we do feel we have more ability to improve um, and to make strides. Um, I bet other people are too. So we decided to start the Yes Foundation um, for empowering young stroke survivors um, and just to come alongside them and let them know, one, they're not alone um, and that it does take a village and we want to be part of that village with them. That's amazing. I was just thinking, sitting here thinking that that kept popping in my mind. It takes a village when you're talking about your family and friends stepping up and it is, it is a village. You have to find that support group person, people to help you along that will walk with you in this journey, because that's so necessary in my opinion. Totally agree. And that was, I know one thing I went looking for and didn't find, um, there are support groups, but the, age of those in those support groups was, you know, anywhere from 30 to 40 years different from where I was at. And I needed to talk to people to help me navigate what it looked like now as a stroke survivor to be a mom and to try to at some point return to work. Um, right. And, you know, go back to the career I worked <laughs> so hard at one point to get to. Um, and there was just nothing there when I looked and I just, went through a period of feeling isolated and, and not understood. And, Mm. you know, I even seeking out uh, professional psychology um, advice because I was like, is this normal? Is this not normal? Um, And nobody could really tell me and that was frustrating. So. Now, what is your, your, what is your why with the yes foundation? What are you and Ray wanting to accomplish? What are your goals with that? Yeah, the why is for young because unfortunately young stroke survivors and even those who lose their life to stroke are taking place uh, at a much younger age. And Mm. I don't know that there's a good explanation as to why, but um, it's a growing community of survivors that are not 60, 80, 70 years old. They're 20s, they're 30s they're in their forties. And this is kind of a time in life where you are providing, you are getting careers off the ground. You're getting families started. You're getting married, you're raising children. Um, and so I don't necessarily have parents to take care of me. They're trying to take care of themselves. I, I have small Mm. children to take care of. They're not taking care of me. Um, so there's just a bit of a gap for us young survivors as professionals, parents, spouses, um, we're kind of in that prime of our life. Um, and that needs to not be minimized. Um, especially when we're saying we need aggressive rehab, we need more of it and we need other resources that aren't necessarily out there or they might be, but they're private pay insurance Mm -hmm. isn't going to help you pay for them. And how do you do that when you're working now with a single income or no income, if you're still single when this happens? Um, Exactly. Yes. And so that is what the why is, is we want to partner with 
young stroke survivors and meet them wherever their needs might be. I think that's fascinating. It's such a great testimony because, and you're right, because so many, so many people are having strokes at, at such a young age. It's not just elderly people, but it's people our age that are being impacted by stroke, not just people having strokes, but also it impacts the families, the, the significant others, the, the spouses, the kids. And there's no one really, I don't think, focuses on that piece of the puzzle because that there's a big need for that. I agree. Right. It's complex. Like, and so just there's so many logistics um, that go mm-hmm. into recovery as a young stroke survivor. And, you know, the faces of stroke need to look a little different. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. And I'm excited. I hope that I can come alongside beside you guys and we can work together to help bring, help bring recognition to this, this growing need. That would be amazing. And, and we would definitely look forward to doing that with you. And the more that we can have involved um, and the more stakeholders we can have uh, to impact local community, to impact our state, to at some point we would love to impact the country. Um, mm. And that way no young stroke survivor has to navigate their recovery alone or feel alone in their recovery. Right. Um, Because the symptoms that we do experience and the unseen things, they are different and they don't get talked about and they're not well understood, but they're not abnormal either. Sure. Absolutely. Rachel, your story is fascinating and you're such a great role model for young stroke survivors. And I'm so thankful that you agreed to come on the show and share your story and about the yes foundation and I'll, I'm going to attach a link at the bottom of this so that people can have access to your foundation. If they have questions or want to reach out and talk to you guys and learn more about what you you're offering for the stroke community, for the young survivors, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. We would be so appreciative of that. And um, whether it's stroke survivor themselves or a family member, or even a friend, if you know somebody who is struggling through their recovery or just needs to feel belonging um, and to be empowered and encouraged, please reach out to us, send us an email, and we would love to um, get to know you and touch base with you. That's awesome. And thank you so much for, for joining me on the show today, Rachel. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm excited again to help promote your story and foundation and and hopefully we can make make a big change impact in the world of stroke. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rachel. We hope you have benefited from this week's podcast of Hope for Stroke Survivors with your host, Brian Gardner. Once again, you can go online to www.hopeforstrokesurvivors.com. Our mission is to provide education, support, inspiration for stroke survivors and their caregivers. Until next time, I'm Steve Tapp.